We are back with another loaded episode from the Blue Bloods for your Tuesday. We start the episode off by discussing a potential Pac-12 protest in the works. We then debate which schools have the best defensive line units for this upcoming 2020 season. And then we move to our recruiting re-rank, where again, we re-rank past recruiting classes. And today we move to the 2018 class. We wrap up the show with another recruiting update. And today we head down to College Station to check in on the Texas A&M Aggies. We got a full show today, guys. So let's kick it off. Huge news from the Pac-12 dropped late Friday afternoon in a tweet from former Arizona State QB Rudy Carpenter. And Carpenter tweeted out that the Pac said there's a group of Pac-12 players that created a list of demands for the conference in each university. And if these demands are not considered complied with met, then the players are ready to boycott this upcoming season. And Carpenter said the original idea was to actually create a player's union, but due to coronavirus, that's really not possible right now. The demands are as follows. First, players want a 50-50 revenue split. Secondly, the players want six years insurance upon graduation. And lastly, the players want better COVID testing protocols. Apparently, the players met Sunday, and it could go into early this week. And they're scheduling a meeting to organize more demands and pretty much unionize to kind of get these demands met. Players from the Cal Bears are supposedly leading this charge. And this is is for sure going to create waves throughout college football. So, Brandon, we're going to break this down, you know, I guess issue by issue. But I want to start here. Do you think that the players are going to be able to achieve this? Is this even possible? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, I'm all for players being able to make money off of their image. As a matter of fact, I wish players would be able to make money for playing college football. But their demands, I mean, are they not a little steep? And that might be what they're going for here. They might be trying to set the bar super high right now. That way, you know, when when they go to the negotiating table, they can meet somewhere in the middle. But a 50-50 revenue split with the schools, uh, that's – that's not possible. There's no chance. Uh, I mean, NFL players aren't getting 50-50 revenue shares with their owners, are they? Uh, no, I, I mean, it's, it's not even close. I don't even. I don't. I don't think any professional sports. Even. I mean, the MLB union, players union, usually gets everything they want. That's probably the strongest union across sports. It, they don't even get that. Right. Um, I understand they want they want more stringent COVID testing. That makes sense. The insurance is a little iffy. I, I'd still say that's a little optimistic for the players. I don't think they're getting that. Um, but they're definitely not getting that money, dude. There's no chance. I, I mean, like you, like we just stated, professional players aren't getting that sort of thing. Also, professional players aren't getting six years of insurance once they're done playing for the team they just played for. 
that's I don't understand how this is very reasonable. And and like I said, I'm all for players making money while they're in college. I, I just this seems a little much, right? Yeah, it's okay. So Brandon, I want to break this down point by point. We'll start with the 50-50 revenue split. The Pac-12 revenue for the 2018-19 fiscal year was $530 million, Brandon. Yeah, that's a a Patrick Mahomes contract. Exactly. And they redistributed over $380 million of that to each school, which averaged out to about $32.2 million per school. That's that's pretty great, right? That's, That's a good income for a school. And what just for our listeners to know, that money is used to fund other sports that might not turn a profit in the athletic department. And it, it goes into the back into the athletic department, which benefits the players who, by the way, are the ones complaining and future athletes. That money goes to, I mean, Alabama, I, I don't know if you guys have saw, just released the pictures of their new locker room. It's outrageous. Looks like I mean, it, it, it looks LSU, Alabama. I think Auburn just got a new player development lounge. I mean, all these, this is what that money goes and does, and it benefits the players. Plus, it goes back into scholarships and stuff for other athletes. But, um, can uh, like like you said, man, can we disagree that the Pac-12 is going to laugh this off? So, Brandon, th- there. So that's about two hundred and sixty, two hundred sixty-five million dollars is about half of uh, half of that. So, teams, let's just say, let's just take the eighty-five scholarship players each team in the Pac-12 has. That's a little bit over a thousand players total, just for football. That's it. This is. Just for football, that would mean every scholarship player would earn about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each year. Oh my gosh! Okay. I and mean, what about bench players or walk-ons or anything like that? Like how? So the players are organizing this. How do you, how how does that get broken down? Do you do production? Because that could vary a lot based on certain things. Do you do snaps played? Do you do seniors get the most and trickle down to freshmen? Like. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't heard. I, I mean, I scoured. Not a single player, anyone has broken this down into how this is going to be, you know, developed, how this is going to work. I mean, that just doesn't even seem logically possible that that could happen. And that's taking the entire fiscal year for the Pac 12. That's not just football. Right. And so you're talking about. All these players just wanting this money. I mean, you have to have a more concrete plan than that. And, you know, everything sounds great when it's spoken or in this case tweeted. But let's be honest here. This is a ridiculous request. I mean, if we're going to start paying players over $100,000 a year to play, Brandon, then should they still receive free housing, free meals, free gear and all the other free benefits that players get? No, I mean, that's and, – and I think they're failing to realize that, hey, you know, that that is what you're getting. Like, that's that's part of it. I mean, you're – that's – no. In my honest opinion, no. If, if they're getting – if they're getting a salary for playing college football, then no. Cut all that. You know, go buy your own food, buy your own housing, buy your own equipment. I mean, I understand that a scholarship covers so much, but do you really think that other – uh, other students that are on full ride scholarships at that school are going and uh, and getting the same benefits as an athlete does. No, they're not. 
No, and I mean, wouldn't free housing be, wouldn't that better suit students who are going to donate, bring money to university in other ways that aren't making a salary? I mean, so I hear this argument all the time and it really irks me. And I got to shout out my friend Blake here. He he kind of broke this down for me and he asked me the same question. He was like, you know, do you think football players are the only ones making money, making millions for universities? He was like, you don't think the engineers who go on to huge engineering firms, scientists, lawyers, etc., isn't aren't going to donate or bring money back into the schools like football players would? They will. He, Absolutely, and, they will. And, I mean, internships and connections and stuff like that. I mean, how much money do you think Tim Cook, Phil Knight, and all these uh, big-time – um, you know, Tim Cook was an Auburn graduate, now CEO of Apple. How much money do you think he brings back into the university? I would say a uh, lot more than the football team. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just I, you know, I don't want to echo too much of what, you know, our guest Cole Kublik said a few episodes back. But I mean, and I've said it even before we had him on the podcast. Me and Brandon have talked about it. I just hate this narrative that college football players are exploited and. I saw a tweet from a prominent ESPN analyst. His name is slipping me right now, but he said, how come when these players get these scholarships from Oregon, Alabama, Clemson, they all say hashtag blessed or hashtag grateful or something like that. How come none of them say hashtag exploited until they've already exploited the university for all this free stuff? That's fair enough. I mean, and I mean, what happens to these players when they sit out? You know, if if they do go on strike, do they pull their scholarships? I mean, do they you have do to? They right? Give, you have I mean, to. You have to. I mean, you have to get players that are going to play. And that's the thing: there are going to be players that still want to play. Do you know how many kids yeah. are out there who want to go play college football? And Millions. I don't want to knock. I don't want to knock the Pac-12 too much right now, but uh, I mean, with the exception of a few. Um, a few exceptional players. Um, they're not a great conference. I mean, where would you rank them in the Power Five, Zach? Probably fourth. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of players that aren't getting that those scholarship offers from schools that are pretty close, walking on to other schools that could easily take a scholarship spot here in the Pac-12 if these players didn't want to play. Cool. If they wanted to go on strike for this. Okay, so let's just take a non-power five school. Let's just take Cincinnati or Memphis. Where was Memphis going to finish last year in the Pac-12? I would say minimum second. Yeah. They might might not have beat Oregon, but I'm taking Memphis over USC last year. Yeah, absolutely. And what about North Dakota State? Where do you think they finished? I think that still could finish top three. It it would be close if they didn't. let's, Let's just say this. So this got started at Cal. Are you taking North Dakota State over Cal? Yes. Ten times, are you ta- nine times are, out of ten. Are you taking Appalachian State last year over Cal? Yes. It, it's exact. like – okay, so hear me out, guys. So, Brandon, like you're a graduate. I graduated from Auburn. I'm currently a student. Do you think if I called my professor right now and said, hey, I'm not coming to class. I'm boycotting until um, – my pay for being a, a lab manager is raised and I'm not going to class till this. D- do you think they're going to keep paying me? No, they're going to hire somebody else. They, they are going to laugh in my face guys. And, and another thing I saw is, you know, everyone's saying all oh, college players are exploited this and that. How much money are colleges already on the hook for possibly losing 
this this season where players are taking a time of vulnerability for these from these colleges to just jump and be like, hey, we demand a 50-50 split. We demand this. We demand that. It's like, why weren't you why weren't you demanding this years ago? Why'd you have to wait till a time where there's so much uncertainty to kind of jump and catch everybody off guard here? And here's what I'll say in a time of like economic distress that we're in right now, like, and it kind of plays to what you said, how, I, I don't want to say selfish are you. So I'm never, I take it back. I will say how selfish are you to demand a 50, 50 revenue split while uh, I mean, What's the unemployment rate at right now? It's over 10% in the United States, and you're demanding what? You're already getting stipends. You're already getting a scholarship. You're already getting all the benefits of being a student athlete, and you're coming in with, we want 50% on top of that. I mean, come on. Uh, And that that stipend money doesn't have to go to power. It doesn't have to go to water, electrical bill, cable. And it's like, I've been to South Donahue at Auburn. They have... The, they have cable, they have water, power, everything's paid. There's yeah. a gas, there's a there's a convenience store on the first floor of South Donahue that literally has an entire freezer section, candy, everything, drinks, like anything you need. First floor of South Donahue, you get off the elevator, walk right up to it. Yeah. And it's, these I don't know. Crazy. And these kids aren't these kids aren't paying for it either. I mean they they they, they have a certain amount they can use at Auburn that Auburn gives them a certain amount that they can use toward that, but they don't pay for it. Yeah. And I've had it. It's like a thousand dollars a semester. Yeah. On top of the hundreds that you're getting as your stipend. I mean, ah, man, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here guys. So we'll move on to the second point here. And that's the insurance uh, up to six years after graduation. And I'll understand the sin. I'll understand the sentiment. Let hear me out. If it's for football related things, I think they might have an argument, Brandon. So like, let's say a kid late his senior year, he graduates in, in March or May or whatever, tears his ACL in December, has to get a second surgery after he graduates, all this stuff. I got you. That's amazing to have that insurance. And that's why I think the PAC 12 is going to give in here and they're going to give this insurance, but I don't think it's going to be for six years. I think it'll be for one to three, somewhere in that range. because, And it's going to be flipped where it has to be football related. So if you had a bunch of concussions and it comes out that you're struggling with that it, it, within that, that time frame, then yes, that school could be on the hook. They could help you out. And that's all great. But so you're a student athlete. You should have a degree. You should have playing experience to a new job, whether that be you take your degree as a football player, you go to a law firm, you go to the NFL. Both of those places offer you insurance, correct? I mean, if, if you're going to a law firm that doesn't offer you health insurance, you probably don't need to be going to that law firm. Right. I mean, or if you're an accountant, I mean, Brandon, you have an accounting degree. Would you take a job with any accounting firm that didn't offer any any benefits? No, man, that's – listen, that, that was – top priority honestly that's what i'm saying like if you have a family and some of these players have kids after graduation you shouldn't be taking a job that doesn't offer health insurance and listen i would say that if this is going to go through it should be one to two years because hear me out because that's a transition period there might be an emergency something happened you don't make it in the nfl you fail to find a job for the first year you have that insurance to fall back on for child care for your wife for you and I get that. But after two years, 
if you still haven't found a job or haven't done anything, why should that fall in the university? I mean, I'm an Auburn graduate. I graduated in 2018, been two years. If, if let's just say I had insurance, why is it Auburn's job to support me now if I haven't done anything for two years? Right. No, I, it, I, it, and these kids do have, I'm, I'm fairly certain they get, they get uh, insurance policies while they're at school. They do. They, yeah. they, they, they do. I mean, cause I know a few players have came out and spoken about that. They do have insurance policies, but six years, you can't find a job or somewhere to go for, for six years, six years on top of the four that you're already offered. I mean, that, that's the thing you're getting, you're getting 10 years of insurance and, Zach, insurance is not cheap. It's not. It's, I mean, it can be hundreds of dollars a month, uh, depending on your plan. I mean, and if it's the sort of things that a football player needs to be insured on, it's going to be hundreds of dollars a month. And for the university to show that out for every single player on their roster for 10 years, uh, I mean, that's just, it's not reasonable. Well, if you have 85 scholarship players a year, I mean, how many is that over? I mean, how many graduating classes i mean you have about 20 25 in each class so you have six classes of 25 players you have to support that's i mean that's an outrageous amount of money and you're already asking for a 50 50 revenue split right it's 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 not gonna happen guys listen i hate to be the bearer of bad news it's not gonna happen and they can boycott all they want they're not getting a 50 50 revenue split they're not getting that. They might get some insurance. Here's here's my idea. Look, give, give them the 50-50 revenue split, and they can use some of that money uh, to buy an insurance policy. <laughs> well, I and mean, then you go and then you go to the Cublix uh, idea, where if they're getting a full salary over a hundred k a year, uh, taxes. Um, yeah. Can you let a player go if he sucks? Yeah, I mean you can do that now. I mean, mm-hmm. you can bench him, but you can't. But if he wants to stay at the university, you, you you have to keep paying him on scholarship. Yeah, fair. But what happens if they cut him? Then that kid can't get an education. Then what? Do, what do you think the public would do if LSU, let's say Miles Rennie came out sucked this year? LSU was like, all right, that's it. You got to leave. What you do you think to. would happen? You didn't have to bring up Miles Brennan like that, but uh, I mean. <laughs> Public outcry, probably, you know. Exactly. So it's a it's a double-edged sword here, guys. But listen, we'll wrap this up by saying, I would think we have to break this down, Brandon. The COVID is a great idea. I am so glad that they ended on a good note because yeah. if we're going to ask these players to put their health on the line at a time like this, they deserve the highest quality medical care you could, you could ever find. I think I the NBA is setting a, per, a perfect example. The NBA right now is a perfect example. Today, right when we were recording, the NBA said over 350 players tested, none had COVID. That's amazing. And college football needs to follow suit. The NBA is a great example. The NFL is like the opposite of that. And the NFL is like the worst example where they just aren't like they, they, they are. It's almost like they aren't taking it seriously in a way. It's like Roger Goodell just said, you know what? Let's, let's play football. Yeah. We're going to be safe. And then they just aren't. Well, um, that's Roger. That's Roger Goodell, man. You, you knew anything you put in front of Roger Goodell, he's going to screw it up. That's, that's fair. Fair enough. But guys, we are going to go ahead, move on here. Um, second segment of the day. We're a while back. We've ranked current 
college football quarterback rooms, backfields, wide receiver units for the upcoming season go way back. I mean, it's it's been a, f- a while now with interviews and shorter episodes we've had to do. So go find it. Um, it's out there. But we're going to continue that segment. We're going to bring it back. The best of the best at each position. And so today, Brendan and I are going to be picking two programs that we think have the best defensive line unit in the country. So, Brandon, who are you picking as uh, you can you can either go backwards or forwards. I don't care who who is either your one or two best line unit in the country. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to rank them. I'm just going to give you two. Um, my first one is obviously and you're going to you're probably going to want to jump in on this. But Miami, I mean, you've been speaking their praises. Yeah, they're, they're my okay. number one for sure. So so let's go ahead. Well, let's talk about it. Um, I, I mean, you are obviously very high on them for a reason, right? Uh, I yeah. mean, <laughs> a six, seven, yeah. 260 pound reason called Gregory Rousseau, Gregory Rousseau, Jalen Phillips, who is a UCLA transfer uh, to Miami yep. this season, a, a former number one recruit in the country when he came out, yeah. five-star prospect. I mean, insane. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, like you said, Rousseau is a monster. I mean, he was a sophomore this past season, 15 and a half sacks on a Miami team that overall, I mean, we can say they struggled this past season, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a I, – I think that even might be an understatement. They lost to Louisiana Tech, Brandon. Yeah, it, listen, when you're losing to Louisiana Tech, that's – we have to get some things together. Well, if you're a Power 5 uh, team, um, group of five, they were they were pretty good last season. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I just see big things coming from Miami. Obviously, you're very high on them. A lot of people are extremely high on them. And uh, I, I honestly thought you were going to take over uh, more of this than, than you currently are. Yeah, that I mean, like, I, like you mentioned Jalen Phillips, who hasn't really proven himself, but he has a lot of potential. And you mentioned Gregory Rousseau, second in the NCAA last year. I think he was half a sack behind Chase Young. And he was a redshirt yeah. freshman last year. I mean, are you kidding me? And right. and you mentioned all that, Brandon, and you did not mention Quincy Roche who just transferred from Temple, and he just won the AAC Defensive Player of the Year and had his own season of 13 sacks last season. That's a good point. So they have two of the best, I would say, the two best defensive ends in college football. You have a former number one recruit who went to a UCLA program that sucks at you know developing talent. Well, I, I think that even might be nice. Um, but he has the potential to play all across the defensive line. So Jalen Phillips can move inside. So you have three, uh, three elite defensive linemen on that line. And then, uh, then on the inside, you return Nesta J. Uh, Silvera. He started 20 games already. Jonathan Ford, a 33 game starter, Jordan Miller, 16 game starter. So you have three defensive tackles that have 15 or more games experience in the ACC already. And, Plus, Manny Diaz is known for his ferocious, hard-hitting defensive scheme where his defensive lineman can go after the quarterback. And you get a second year under him, and then you bring in Chance Williams, the number seven weak side defensive end. Jalen Rivers, number 12 D tackle. Elijah Roberts, the number 13 strong side defensive end. All are top 100, uh, all like our top 200 recruits, all four stars, and they come in as highly touted defensive linemen that just add an outrageous amount of depth to an already elite defensive line. I don't think there's a defensive line in the country that can say from top to bottom is more stacked than the Miami Hurricanes. That's 
that's tough. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'll move to my second team. We're staying in the ACC here. And I think no, this is a close we'll second, it. a close second, but it's going to be Clemson here. And it has to be Clemson, right? It, it has to be. I mean, let's be honest here. Clemson should not surprise any of our listeners. And it starts with Xavier Thomas. He already has 26 games of starting experience. He's going into his third year as a starter at a program where freshmen don't get to see the field a lot. He's already got 60 tackles, five sacks the past two seasons. He struggled with injuries last season, but with with uh, no spring practice, not a lot of workouts, he should be more than healthy this upcoming year. And that brings me to Tyler Davis. I mean, as a true freshman last year, he was arguably the best defensive lineman in the I mean outside of Rousseau in the ACC I mean as a true freshman Brandon 45 total tackles 10 and a half for loss six and a half sacks and at Clemson started all 15 games as a true freshman yeah that, I mean, that's it, unheard of I mean that you freshmen do not see the field in in Clemson South Carolina and Tyler Davis came out and had an outstanding season and this this next part is why I pick Clemson, Brandon. I think it's probably why you also uh, have Clemson here. And it is the amount of ridiculous freshman talent that is coming in to Clemson this year. I mean, you have Brian Barisi, the number one player in this past class, number one defensive tackle. Brandon, in his final three years of high school, 82 and a half tackles for loss and 45 sacks. Insane. I mean, it's absolutely it's a, a reason that he a, was... Number one oh. recruit in the country. As an interior I mean, defensive lineman, he got 45 sacks. Are you oh, – I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And then you got Miles Murphy, the number seven player nationally, another top ten player, number one strong side defensive end, 37 tackles for loss, 20 and a half sacks in his final two years of high school. So you have Xavier Thomas and Tyler Davis, and then you have Brian Barisi, Miles Murphy coming in to, to go defense tackle, defensive end opposite. And then you have DeMonte Capehart, 33 national, fifth defensive tackle, 84 tackles, 35 for loss, 12 and a half sacks as a defensive tackle his final two years of high school. So yeah. three defensive linemen in the top 40, all top five at their position, and you add that with Xavier Thomas and Tyler Davis – are you kidding me? This defense, the AC, these two ACC teams are going to have the best defensive lines, and I, I really am so interested for the ACC because North Carolina does not have a scrub defensive line. Pitt has a really, really good defensive line. Virginia Tech's on the up and up. Marvin Wilson at Florida State is going to be a top fifteen NFL draft pick. The defensive line talent in the ACC this year rivals just about any conference. And I know we're usually an SEC boasting podcast, but the ACC is going to be nothing to laugh at this this year on the defensive side of the ball. No, they're not. And, and in my honest opinion, it's not even close. I mean, I think it's Clemson, uh, probably Miami, Pitts up there for sure, even nationally. And then, I mean, then maybe you can dip into the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Ohio States, but I don't know, man. And the ACC, I don't know what's going on there, but defensive linemen just want to go play there for whatever reason. And listen, I know there's some guys at Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, who probably are going to be really, really good up here too, but there's a lot of losses. I mean, are you are you telling me Chase Young is just going to be a plug-in? You, you have a replacement. You can just plug in and completely replace everything Chase Young brought to Ohio State? You no. can't tell me they can. You really can't. And 
They lost a lot of auxiliary players that were behind Chase Young that did special things on that team, too. Alabama loses a, a ton of talent every year. I'm sure there's some defensive linemen in Alabama that people are going to be like, well, you didn't include them. Yes, they're really good, but uh, they, they're not as proven as Gregory Rousseau, as Xavier Thomas. And neither of those teams have three top 33 defensive linemen coming in. And it's just Clemson had to be here and Quincy Roach and Gregory Russo are the best are the two best defensive ends in the entire country. So how do you not have them? No, you I mean, you have to. That's like I said, I didn't I didn't want to rank mine one and two because I think that both of these programs are respectable in their own rights. But uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue against either one of these teams. Well, I'll give you this. I think Clemson, by the end of the season, could have the number one defensive line. But we've seen highly touted defensive linemen come in and not produce like they should. But if Barisi and Miles Murphy and Kate Hart all live up to their potential, Clemson will most likely have the number one defensive line in the country. It's just I took experience with Miami over unproven freshmen, uh, unproven touted freshmen um, at Clemson. You know, I mean – we saw Gregory Rousseau have 15 and a half sacks. We saw Quincy Roach have 13 sacks. You have three defensive tackles with over 25 games of starting experience. So I think that I think with this year, especially with COVID and no spring practice, I think experience is going to weigh more than just raw high school talent. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's just it's too hard for me to overlook. I, I mean, the three top 50 defensive linemen that Clemson got it, this year alone. I mean, it easily could have been the best deep, the best positional haul in some time. I mean, it's up there. I mean, Ohio State had a ridiculous wide receiver class last year, too. And Alabama has a ridiculous offensive line class this year. I think they have two five stars and two four stars already. Right. I mean, since we covered Alabama, what was it, a few episodes back, they're already up to number two in the rankings already. It's ridiculous. Because they let, they had such a streak of offensive linemen commits that were just so good. They landed the um, Brockmire brothers. They landed a center. I forgot his name right now. But, yeah, I mean, they are landing some elite talent. And I think those three positional units are some of the best in college football recruiting history, if you if you ask me. You could have just said the one Brockmire brother. Because I, I understand they were a package deal. But there's uh, there's one that's a lot better than the other. Well, I mean, the other one's a top 100 four-star. Just because his his other brother is like the number three recruit in the country, I get that. But, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they're both going to be really, really good. Fair. It's fair enough. Uh, okay, so if, if LSU landed the younger, the, the, the less touted brother, would you be upset? I'd be pretty upset that we didn't get the better brother. <laughs> hey, that, that's fair enough. But, guys, we are going to move on here. Third segment of the day. And it's the recruiting re-rank. This is going to be the last one we do. I know we could have like kept going, but the players in 2019, I mean, odds are only a handful of them have played. So it's kind of unfair to rank them before they've had a chance to play. I mean, we're gonna put. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it real quick. I'll put Derek Stingley at one, and I'll put uh, I'll put Keaton Slovis at two, then Sam Howell, and I. I mean, you want me to keep going? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, there you go, guys. We did it for y'all. Derek Stingley was going to be one regardless, but if you, in case you're new to the podcast, Brandon Al oh, Thibodeau, Thibodeau, oh, yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's up there. Oh, he he is a monster. But Brandon and I re rank each recruiting class. We started with 2013. 
we're only going to reanalyze the top 100, pick the top five players from that top 100 based on only their college performance. This this episode, we're looking at the 2018 class headlined by Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, arguably two of the best college quarterbacks today. I'm assuming they're probably both on our list or definitely Trevor Lawrence, at least. So, Brandon, you know how this goes. So give us your number five recruit in this class. Uh, my number five recruit, uh, this is going to be a little bit disappointing to everybody out there because everyone knows I'm not good at talking about offensive linemen. Uh, so Panay Sewell, get on out there. I'm not going to give any stats because there aren't stats. I'm sure he's on Zach's list at some point, so you'll hear a lot more about him later. Yeah, I have plenty of stats for the for, for my boy Panay Sewell. So he comes in way, way later on my list. So yeah, uh, um, I guess I'll go ahead and give my number five. This is Brandon, you know. Doesn't like his offensive lineman. I'm upset. Brandon, you played center. Yeah, I did. I, I but I didn't have any stats. That's true. Yeah. Hey, hey, one of the best long snappers in Mobile County, man. That's right. I'm the second best that Coach French <laughs> ever coached. He told me that in my senior <laughs> banquet. That's wild. Coach French is the goat. But um, you know, my number five is going to be Justin Fields here. Um, okay. Ohio State, Ohio State quarterback originally committed to Georgia. He was originally number two. I know Fields being all the way down at five may surprise some people, but he's only had one year of real success. I mean, he lost. He he couldn't beat out Jake Fromm for his job. Okay. That's that, that's tough. I mean, he did dominate the big t- the, the the Big Ten last season. He took college football by storm. I mean, sixty seven percent completion percentage, thirty two hundred yards passing, forty one touchdowns, and only three interceptions. Added ten rushing touchdowns to that. He was top five in uh, you know in completions, completion percentage, passing yards, yards per attempt, passing touchdowns, passer efficiency, rushing touchdowns. I mean, and was top three in the Heisman voting. He easily could end up being in the top three, but I need to see more. I mean, if he goes out, wins to Hosman this year, yeah, he's moving up. If he goes out there, has 4,000 yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing, something outrageous, he can move up. Or a national championship. I mean, he threw an interception to end the Clemson game. Right. I mean, I, I just need to see him go in those big games, win them. And if he can do that, if he goes out and has another year like he did last year, he could go down as one of the best Ohio State quarterbacks of all time. But I need to see more than just a one. I need to I need to see more than just one elite season from Fields before I can put him higher in my list. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I honestly thought, never. I, I won't I won't say anything right now. But I thought I was coming in hot with where I put Justin Fields. But um, so you've got number uh, four now, Zach. Yeah, number four. Uh, Brandon, I have, a, I have a lot to say about this guy, but I'll let you chime in too because it's your boy. It's Jamar Chase, there LSU wide receiver. He was originally 84th in the country. That's a great value. I mean, if an 84th player in the country could always be Jamar Chase, sign me up. I'll take him every time. Um, Which is you crazy, know, by the way, because he was like, I think he was like number 20 for 247. Yeah. Like in just their rankings. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. I think ESPN – ESPN and 247 always conflict a lot. Like Tank Bixby on Rivals and 247 was like the 30th ranked player of running back that just committed to Auburn. ESPN had him at like 120. That's nuts. Always trust 247 and Rivals, guys. If you trust the the outlets that actually look at recruiting, 
all the time rather than just a national outlet like that. I'm done talking. I'm done hating on ESPN, but I love ESPN, but they're not the recruiting go-to. Get you a 247 or Rival subscription if you really want to look in-depth in recruiting. But you can't talk about exploding onto the scene without mentioning Jamar Chase. I mean, I mean absolutely, absolutely dominated college football last year. He did. And, I mean, I guess I can go ahead and skip ahead. He's my number three player on this list. Um, number four, Zach already touched on. I might as well go ahead and chime in here. Justin Fields, Zach already talked about him. We'll skip over that. My number three player, Jamar Chase. I mean, let's talk about a breakout season. You know, 1,780 yards from scrimmage. Uh, I'm sorry, that's <laughs> – I take it back, 1,785 yards from scrimmage because he had a five-yard rush. Um, 1,780 yards receiving – 84 over 84 receptions that means that he was 21 yards per reception this past season 20 touchdowns i i don't know how many drop balls he had but it wasn't many because this guy's got glue on his gloves i mean talk about a reliable receiver um i mean he's zach's made it abundantly clear that that he's one of the main reasons that joe burrow had the season he had this past season and i i have to agree i mean he's he's an insane player and a crazy value at number 84 overall. I mean, last season, he ranked second in the SEC in catches. He ranked first in the NCAA and SEC in receiving yards, fourth in the fourth in the country, first in the SEC in yards per reception, first in the country and SEC in receiving touchdowns. I mean, he won the Bolitnikoff. He was a consensus All-American, and he is my choice right now for the 2020 Bolitnikoff. It's gonna, I think it's going to be him or Rondell Moore. Those uh, those yeah. are the two that I am looking for. Maybe Jalen Waddle can get in there. I just don't know if he can do it on a on a consistent basis. And I mean, l- like Cole Kublik said, he's arguably the best wide receiver in the country and could make a run at two thousand yards receiving if Miles Brennan lives up to the hype that these LSU fans have him at. I mean, yeah. If he was that big of a target for Joe Burrow, the you know. He, he's going to be the number one choice. He's going to be the go-to guy. Justin Jefferson's gone. Jamar Chase should be the number one option, hands down. And he's going to be a top five pick, top 10 pick next season in the NFL draft. And if he puts up another year like he did this year, could rival Odell. Jarvis Landry is one of the best LSU wide receivers of all time. Right. And I know you just mentioned Rondell Moore. So when I'm editing this, I'm, I'm – I'm not going to do it, but I'm tempted to go back to uh, to about 11 months ago when I had Rondale Moore listed like number five in my Heisman watch, and you just laughed it off. You're like, oh, no, he sucks. He plays at Purdue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rondale Moore is a monster, man. But, I mean, uh, so Chase could be in my top three, but all of my top three players have put together two to three seasons of domination, which puts them over Chase for me. Even though Chase yeah. might have had the best season, I think he has to do it one more time to jump above my top three players. I don't see any reason that he won't. I mean, obviously, he was Joe Burrow's first choice. I take it back. I I, I want to say that Justin Jefferson had more receptions than he did. Obviously, Jamar Chase had more yards. Um, and don't quote me on what I just said, by the way. Uh I know I might get my LSU fan uh, fandom stripped of me for making a false claim, but uh, don't 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 even check me on it, honestly. But uh, I mean, twenty one yard twenty one yards per reception over this past season is, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't know another word to say other than insane. I mean, that doesn't seem like it should be able to happen. Yeah, two so, first downs. Two first downs every time he caught the ball, man. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's crazy. That's tough. That's real tough. But you know, guys, move it to my number three player since Brandon skipped up to his. Um, had to. You know, I have Micah Parsons, uh, Penn State linebacker. He was originally fifth in this class, and. The best linebacker in this country resides in Happy Valley, and Parsons should be the number one linebacker taken in the NFL draft if he decides to leave. Uh, yeah, Dylan Moses has an argument. Michael Parsons is that guy. He is that dude, right. and he is the perfect field general and middle linebacker and has the athleticism to play all across the defense. I've read some experts, that NFL scouts, that have said he is the next Isaiah Simmons and has potential to be even better than Isaiah Simmons. That's how high people are on Michael Parsons. Well, he absolutely does. And he comes in at number two on my list. I I know I keep skipping ahead, but you keep making really good (laughs) points here, Zach. Um, Yeah, so I I honestly – I thought – I know who you have at number two. I I knew it all along, but – did you? Yeah, Michael Parsons. Yes, I did. The <laughs> second, second you said, you, I think you might have glazed over him. I was like, uh-huh. So, um, yeah, if that doesn't give it away, I don't know what does. But Michael Parsons is an insane man. I mean, he is a monster. He had 109 total tackles this past season. Yeah. 109 total t- 14 of those for a loss. Uh, I, I mean, he's a menace, if I had to put it into a word. I mean, he was top 10 in the Big Ten. And solo tackles, assisted tackles, total tackles, tackles for loss, and forced fumbles, in which he was fourth in the country in forced fumbles for last season. And he he has the accolades to go along with it. I mean, freshman All-American, honorable mention for all Big Ten his freshman season, consensus All-American last year by NCAA. He was first team all Big Ten. He was the finalist for the Buckus Award. And he's he is my favorite and experts favorites for the Buckus and the Gursky award next season. And I think anybody who knows a single ounce of college football should have this dude. Not one. If it's not one, it's top three. And if you have Michael Parsons outside your top three linebackers in the country, you need to go watch some film because this guy is elite. I don't know who else you'd put above him. I mean, I, I get Dylan no, Moses. I, I can yeah, hear that argument, but maybe Dylan but Moses. I mean, that's, that's it. Maybe. That's the only one I could think of. I don't know. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna have some responses to this at some point. I, I feel fine. like, but bring them to me. I promise you, they're not Michael Parsons. Okay, I can good think. Of, I could I could think of some good ones. We can go back and forth all day, but I promise you, Michael Parsons is winning any debate you want to bring to the table. Um, he is, and he's he's another one of those players like Isaiah Simmons who can sort of play back it. Uh, I, I understand he doesn't really play a lot of safety, but I mean, would you would you count him out at like a strong safety position? No. They had him listed as kick return. Right. It's uh, and if they put him there, by the way, I'm fighting. You're, you're, you're James Franklin back. is James Franklin is going to come has to come see these hands because are you going to put <laughs> your best player at kick return as a linebacker? Like, get out of here! I know it was probably just like a joke, but if I see him return one kick, I, I'm <laughs> I'm driving to Happy Valley, and we we gonna, we, we are not going to live up to that name because it is not going to be. Any good, any good visit coming for me if Michael Parsons returns a single kick, punt. I don't even care. If he catches an interception, you better drop down. I don't want to see him get hurt at all. I like Michael <laughs> Parsons a lot. But, um, you know, number two, 
Brandon alluded to it. It's Panay Sewell, offensive lineman, yeah. Oregon, originally 57th. I really, really wanted to put him first. I really, really did. Um, my decision came down to which position is probably more important. It's quarterback. We all know. As soon as I introduced who was the top two people in this class, everyone knew who was coming at number one. But let's focus on Sewell right now. He deserves this respect. And Sewell, any other class we've covered, going all the way back to 2013, Sewell is going to be number one for me in almost any other class. The only one I'll call into question is the Mika Fitzpatrick class because Mika Fitzpatrick's that guy. Um, but Sewell is going to go down as the best office lineman in recent me- memory. I mean, it's that's just a fact. Is and he? he, yes. What about what about Quentin Nelson? Well, I said one of the best. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like I, I think you have Quentin Nelson, Orlando Brown. Uh, that's it. He gives, he's going down top three okay. of all time. So l- let me just run these stats by you, Brandon. So she, you, apparently you can't do offensive line research like your boy. Um, well, I just don't know if they have stats. I feel like you're making stats up. No. So pro football focus, Suell graded out as the best offensive lineman in the country last season. Brandon, his grade was 95.5%. Yeah, I don't know what that means. That's not a stat. That's yeah, like okay, a hang on. I got you. I got you. That means 95.5% of the snaps he played, he got his assignment. Okay, fair. He was a four-time Pac-12 Offensive Lineman of the Week. No other team had a player win it more than twice. Brandon, he played 926 snaps this last season. No sacks allowed. Only seven pressures and two quarterback hits. Jeez, he, he didn't. He didn't allow a pressure, hit, or hurry of Justin Herbert in nine of the 13 games Oregon played. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, and, that's... and if you want to go back to his freshman season, he allowed one sack and 450 snaps as a true freshman. Uh, I mean, I get it. I get where you're coming from. And, and we can keep going. He's the most decorated offensive lineman in the country. I mean, Outland Award winner, unanimous All-American. He was he was the AP and Pro Football Focus Pac-12 Player of the Year. I mean, the Player of the Year as an offensive lineman? How good do you have to be? I mean, Pro Football Focus went back through the season. Suell r- ranked as the best run-blocking offensive lineman in the country and the third-best pass-blocking offensive lineman, both of those rankings are over 91% success on every play. 926 plays, 95, 95.3% he did the right thing and got his assignment. That's That That doesn't even seem real. Brandon, uh, Like, just name a, just a random activity that you think you could be perfect at for 95.5% of the time. Honestly, I'm not very good at a lot of things, Zach, and you knew that. So I feel like that was a real low blow. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's why. I mean, hey, I can't do much either. So um, I, I guess that's why neither of us are on scholarship at Oregon, nor you know, are we the Outland Award winner or the oh, oh, oh. Or the best offensive lineman in the country. I thought of something. Ninety-five point five percent of the time, I actually record episodes on time. Oh, that's true. We are a day late, guys. But Brandon, uh. He was not feeling well yesterday, so we we bring you guys an episode on Tuesday instead of Monday. You know, I bet you a bunch of our listeners had a terrible Monday because you were sick, Brandon. They might have a, they might have had a better Monday because I was sick. Honestly, <laughs> that, that also that also could have been the case. But guys, I mean, 
Well, I, I feel like we can move to the number one player. I've said enough about Suwell. He's a he's going to be a legend. But Brandon, I feel I feel like you know we built this up a lot a few episodes ago when you had Dexter Lawrence over Ed Oliver as number one. But I am extremely confident that we have the same number one here. Yeah, Zach, I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Um, so let's talk about Terrace Marshall Jr. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, no, that, that'd be tough because that would be a like your LSU fan card would have to be taken for putting him over Jamar Chase. It w- well, I don't know about that. They're both pretty good. Um, Cade Mays, who we're talking about? No, Trevor Lawrence, obviously. I mean, the greatest. I don't know how you almost put Panay Sewell over him. By the way, that's that um, seems a little I ridiculous. Mean, I'm okay. Like, I mean, I feel like they're both, they, they could both, depending on how this next season goes, go down as the best player at their position in college football history. I may, I don't know. I mean, Trevor Lawrence probably will. I mean, he, and if not, I mean, he's the most, he had the most potential of any college player in the history of college football, if he didn't. But yeah. Panay well, I mean, he's up there. I'm not going to argue with you there. But uh, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, I mean, this kid's the prototype. How do you not – how is he not on – if he's not on your list, then <laughs> good thing you're listening to this and you're getting informed because you really needed it today. I was about to say, if you, in case you don't know who Trevor Lawrence is, let let us introduce you. Um, you know, this is this is actually interesting, Brandon. So I, I believe – I know it's true for my list that we've done so far, and I believe it is for yours. Lawrence is the first player that was the number one recruit in the country that – is number one in either of our re-ranks? No, I think that uh, I think last episode um, I had I had the number one overall recruit. I could be wrong. That's, there. that's tough, but it's definitely for me. And I mean, Lawrence to say dominated is just almost repetitive because dominated is not even really the word. I mean, yes, like he didn't win the national championship last year, but he's lost one game in college. And yeah, it's what two games since his freshman year of high school. Are Dude, you kidding and, me? And we we bagged on this kid. <laughs> we bagged on him at the beginning of the last season, but then he ended up having a better season than his freshman year. I mean, he had a better completion percentage. He had a better. Um, uh, I mean, he was he was a million times a better rusher this past season. Um, I mean, he he passed for more yards. He had more playing time, obviously, too, but he had more yards per pass. I mean, he ended up being an overall better player this past season, and everyone was calling it his sophomore slump. I mean, that's just – that's a state – that's a – I mean, if that doesn't show you how good he is, I don't know what will. I mean, it's just – it's crazy, man. I mean, so in in what, two years at Clemson – He's thrown for just under 7,000 yards, 65% completion percentage, 66 touchdowns, only 12 interceptions, and 162 passer rating, along with 10 rushing touchdowns. I mean, he's top three in the in, in the ACC for both seasons. His freshman, which, by the way, he didn't start the first four games, and last season, he was top three in his conference in completion, completion percentage, Passing yards, yards per attempt, passing touchdowns, and pass passer efficiency for both years, top three in the ACC. Insane. And listen, I know the knock on Lawrence is going to be this. Well, you guys have had Deshaun Watson one. You guys had have been Mika Fitzpatrick one. They all have won these awards. They've all done this. But yes, I know Lawrence hasn't won the big awards. But 
his freshman season, he didn't even play the like he barely played the first four games and then got hurt. Right. And then on top of that, it, it, last season we saw the greatest season by a college football quarterback of all time. So it's a little unfair to compare that. I mean, t- if if Joe Burrow didn't exist in college football, we'd be talking about how Trevor Lawrence is undefeated and just won his second national championship. That's that's a good point. Um, and, that, and, and to think this to think this kid's only loss was in the national championship is bananas. Which he was winning in the third quarter. Yeah. Or late second. I, but he he had a seventeen to what seven lead at one point. Yeah, I was not a very happy camper at that moment. But yeah. It, and it, it, it uh, okay. So hear me out. Uh, Trevor Lawrence got a lot of flack for that performance, but. He that was the first game I think Trevor Lawrence has had to just put everything on his back. That defense collapsed down the stretch, and I'm not saying Brett Venables or Brent Venables should feel bad. I promise you that LSU offense wasn't being stopped by anybody. I don't care who you put in front of them. Joe Burrow was that was LSU's year. But Lawrence in 2018, his freshman season, he was a Maxwell Award fi- Maxwell Award finalist. Manning Award finalist, Davey O'Brien finalist. He was a freshman All-American, ACC Rookie of the Year, and second team All-CC, All-ACC. That's impressive. And then last year, he was a Manning Award finalist, Davey O'Brien finalist, Walter Camp Player of the Year finalist, and first team All-ACC. It's not like he's out here not get, gaining any national recognition or, or accolades. It's just the Hosman Trophy, the one y'all are all waiting for, was taken by the greatest college football quarterback season of all time in Joe Burrow. And then he didn't even play all his games his freshman year. Right. I, it's so, crazy. I mean, so yeah, they almost lost that Syracuse game. How many points do you think Trevor Lawrence is really going to put on Syracuse, Brandon? Um, a trillion. Let's, let's be honest. If Chase Bryce or I believe Chase Bryce is, I would, I believe he transferred, but if he if he doesn't if Travis Etienne doesn't carry that team to a win and Trevor Lawrence is in there Trevor Lawrence is racking up those stats and then if you start him over Kelly Bryant I think he racks up even more stats and I think he has a real I think he puts up stats similar to Kyler Murray in two of in 2018 he yeah, uh, he was he was an award finalist with those two already after not playing five games it's crazy it's and and their first game. And their first four games, the only tough game was A&M, Texas A&M on the road. The rest of them, he could have padded those stats. It's not like they were playing world beaters out there, guys. I mean, listen, Trevor Lawrence is the best college football quarterback right now, and it's not even a debate. It's it's literally not. And it's literally not. And 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 if you want to throw out anybody's name you you want, go ahead because Trevor Lawrence is winning the argument just like. You know, just like I said with Michael Parsons, same with um with Jamar Chase. They're the best players at the position right now. And if Trevor Lawrence puts it together, wins a Heisman in a national championship this year, I don't think you can argue that any quarterback in college football history should go above him. I really don't. Well, let me ask you this. What if what if you put Panay Sewell at quarterback? Then where are you ranking Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> I mean, dude, I mean Panay Sewell is a Beast on the offensive line. I don't know if I want him to take his snaps, man. I mean, do you think he can get out of the pocket? I don't. I don't know if he can. I don't know. I, I I'd be a little worried, wouldn't you? 
It's a big, it's a big maybe. You know, you never know. <laughs> That's a big question mark on the. Uh, uh, is that who they're going to get to replace Justin Herbert at Oregon? They're going to put Panay Suwell in at quarterback. Could be. Listen, Panay Suwell for Hosman, guys. They're going to put him in the, like the Wildcat at goal line. It's going to be the fridge part two. Panay is going to lead the league in rushing. That's that's what yeah. I'm rooting for. Yep, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I mean, but honestly, I mean, if Trevor Lawrence goes out there and wins another national championship, wins to Hosman, can it? Can you even make an argument that he's not the best college quarterback of all time? No, I mean, I, I think he's like really, really, really close right now. I'm about to say he's probably so, top ten right now already. Right, and so I mean, absolutely. I mean, come on, he has, he has two seasons if he comes back. Well, for four years. Oh, that's oh. a wrap. Any record you want to talk about, that is a wrap. Done for. It's it's gone, guys. But listen, we are going to move on. Last segment of the day, and as we usually do, except for last episode, uh, we end the show with an exclusive recruiting update. And check out all our recent episodes uh, to catch up on updates from all around the country. Today, though, guys, we head down to College Station to analyze the Texas A&M Aggies. They're trying to follow up a top 10 class last season, and Jimbo Fisher is finally, please finally, looking to compete for the SEC West this season. And this class was headlined already with six top 300 recruits. Still early here, so the Aggies have some work to do. But, Brandon, what's your take on this class, and do you see Texas A&M finally building that SEC contender that we've all been waiting to see? Look, it's going to be tough for them to top what they did this past season. Uh, they finished sixth in the country in recruiting. They had two five-star recruits uh, who were already enrolled at school in, uh, in College Station. Um, and this season, I mean, it's, it's looking – uh, it's looking like it might put up a fight to last season, but I'm, like I said, it's, it's so, it's, it's, it's so tough uh, to do that. Um, right now they rank sixth in the sec. They, this past season, they were sixth nationally. Um, so I, I mean, it, it's definitely hard to live up to, but I mean, at the same time, and this is something I've been harping on with every single team we've covered, Texas A&M only has 12 commits right now. So they have a lot of room for improvement. Uh, I mean, as they're sitting right this second, you know, they have five, uh, they have five three-star recruits and the, the rest of those, the, the rest of the seven are four stars. Um, and they still got a lot of players on their, uh, you know, on their, I don't even know, on the radar. That's the word. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. I just went, I just went blank minded, but, um, and, and I like what I'm seeing out of them so far with their commits. Uh, I mean, obviously, this class is headlined uh, by Shadrach Banks out of North Shore, Texas, uh, out of North Shore High School in Houston. Uh, that if that na- if that high school name sounds familiar, it's because that's where Zachary Evans went. Apparently, they're just pumping out players like it's nothing. Um, great wide receiver, but he's 100 nationally. You know, th- this team. That's one of the things that I've also noticed that they don't have a top. No, I guess top 99 recruit, you know, their top recruit is number 100 in the nation, which is nothing to, you know, shake your head at still an outstanding class. But I feel like at some point you have to break into that. And I think it's just a matter of time for Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M to do that. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll come back to banks in a second with you. Um, but you know, we've covered other classes. We did Baylor and Texas and 
their classes really hinge on that on the state of Texas, but only six of the twelve recruits in this class are from Texas. And I yeah. think it just shows the national reach that a coach like Jimbo Fisher has over a coach like a new coach like Dave Aranda or or um I don't know why I'm blanking Tom Herman from Texas. I just cannot stand him so much. Um but I think that's a huge thing there to look at because there's some players in Texas that have not committed yet, and AM definitely could sneak up on. But I want to go to Banks, like you said. He's a hundred national out of North Shore. But the reason I think it's gonna be okay, Brandon, he's gonna move up. He's a hundred national and only played five games last year. He had an injury that kept him out most of the season. And in those five games, he already had 22 catches, over 400 yards, and six touchdowns. I mean, so he was he, he was on pace to put up huge numbers. And in his sophomore year, Brandon, he was a big factor on a team that went 16-0 and and won the state title. He had 60 catches, 1,300 yards, and 17 touchdowns as a sophomore in Texas. So I mean, it's... I think a fully no. healthy season is going to go is do wonders for Banks. So don't be surprised if Banks makes a run at the top fifty. And he's already about six foot two hundred and five, and that's a perfect size to be a, a wide receiver one at the next level. And I think I think his biggest strength is his playmaking ability. I mean, a lot of scouts have compared his athleticism to a running back instead of a wide receiver. He just has yeah. that shiftiness, but. He's not extremely fast. He doesn't have that, you know, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle type speed. But if he sharpens up his route running, he could be a serious contender for, in the SEC. And that brings me to another recruit that stands out, and that's Eli uh, Stowers out of Denton, Texas. He's 165th national, the seventh ranked dual threat quarterback. And he already looks the part of an SEC quarterback. He's six four two fifteen already as a as a junior, and his sophomore season was kind of up and down. I mean, that's to be expected, though, Brandon. I mean, you look back to your sophomore season in high school. I mean, it, it and you compare it to like a senior. I mean, just physically, mentally, like it's completely different on how you feel as a sophomore compared to a senior in high school football. No, I mean, no doubt. And and we played in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, could you imagine playing Texas football as a sophomore, as a quarterback? I mean, he had over 15, 1,500 yards passing, 1,100 yards rushing, but he, he, he had a 13 interceptions to 13 touchdowns. Not great. So decision-making was a huge like negative for his film. But junior season, guys, you want to talk about something serious? Over 2,900 yards passing, 36 touchdowns, with totally four interceptions. You want to talk about a kid developing and maturing real fast? And not only that, he continued his his ground ability with over 1,100 yards rushing again and 11 touchdowns. Yeah. So the kid had uh, over 40 total touchdowns, and he put up almost 4,000 yards uh, of just offense by himself. And... Watching his film, he reminds me of a more athletic Kellen Mond. But okay. the benefit that he gets over Kellen Mond is that he may he he should he may also get Jimbo Fisher for four years instead of having a rough freshman season like Kellen Mond did, where it was in between and then you have to learn the system and all kind of stuff. So he'll get a head start where Mond had to learn on the fly, and Mond got thrown in as a freshman. Man, I mean, 
he had some rough games. I mean, mind, I think all his potential stems from him just having a rough freshman season. And I don't think, I think his confidence got shattered, but he's a better decision maker than mine. And that's what limits um, Kellen Mond's potential for me. And I think this kid is the perfect quarterback for Jimbo Fisher's system. And if everything goes right, he might have his quarterback like he found in Jameis Winston way back at Florida State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely see this out of this kid. Um, you know, and there's a couple of these players that stick out to me. Um, I, I know that I, lo- I love skipping ahead during this segment and talking about my underrated player. And so I'm probably just going to go ahead and do that uh, if, if, if that plays. So let's talk about a player in Deuce Harmon um, out of uh, – where. Where's he from? Uh, he, he's out of Denton, Texas. He played at Geyer High School. I guess he still plays at Geyer High School. Um, he's a cornerback, four-star cornerback. Um, the 303rd nationally ranked player uh, and 45 in the state of Texas. Uh, he comes in a little undersized for the position. I mean, he's five foot nine, 185 pounds. Uh, and for a, uh, for a college cornerback that, you know, like I said, it's a little bit on the smaller side. But he's not afraid to really stick his head in any situation and, and break up pl- uh, passes. I mean, just by watching his film, you know, watching a few minutes of his film, uh, I, I noticed that he's not afraid to step between a wide receiver and that ball. Um, and, and Speedy is an understatement for this kid. I mean, he's he's nearly outrunning wide receivers on these routes, which not a, not always a great thing to do. But uh, on the go routes that, that I've seen him defend, I, I mean – there, there's not much else that you should want to do, especially if the quarterbacks they were throwing the receivers in the certain situation I saw, that's exactly what they were doing. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to be a player that, uh, that jumps right into uh, Jimbo Fisher's defense and really makes a statement. I'm not sure if it's going to be this upcoming season, not this upcoming season, next season, um, but it's, it's going to be in the near future if it's not. You know, uh, we've ha- we've done this segment for a long time. I don't think you've ever stole my prospect, but he was also my underrated prospect for this class. Um, I guess you're learning, man. I guess you were learning. Oh, yeah. Thank uh, you. Like you said, his size is a valid concern. That's uh, really, really small for a cornerback, and that that has to worry coaches about his ability to cover big wide receivers and tight ends in the SEC. I mean, you see a, a tight end like Kyle Pitts for Florida. He is in the slot. He's outside a lot. Um, he's not a blocking tight end. He can beat DBs deep, and uh, uh, that worries you. I mean, if you throw a ball up, Kyle Pitts is, I think, 6'6". Six, six. Uh, how, do how do you even defend it? Um, and the reason I'm picking Harmon here, you, you know, I, I know listeners are like, well, you're saying he's too small and all this. Well, I think he's moving positions when he gets to Texas A&M, which is why I picked him. Yeah, I think they're going to move him to wide receiver. Um, and when I look at his size, his speed, his playmaking ability, I think of someone like Rondell Moore, who's a similar size and stature, and they have similar playing styles. Um, he has great speed. I believe he was clocked at a four-five, uh, maybe high four-four. Um, he already uh, has a, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he has a forty-inch vertical already. Um, and so that helps him, even though his size might not be the best. But in his in his uh, high school career so far, he already has 90 tackles in two years and has broken up 20 passes with five interceptions. And he can bring the he like you like Brandon said, he brings the boom, three force fumbles. Uh, but 
for me, I think he just projects better as a wide receiver. Put him in the slot. He's going to be really hard to cover because he's fast and shifty. He'll do real good on the underneath routes. And he can beat uh, DBs deep. I really think he has the speed to do that. And putting on a little bit of weight will increase his durability in the SEC. Because, I mean, you have to worry. I mean, some of these safeties in the SEC are 6'3", 215. They're, they're glorified linebackers. Um, so you have to watch out for that. But he has the speed to beat linebackers for sure. And I think he has even the speed to beat some safeties. But, you know, he... Uh, an AM player that he kind of reminds me of is Speedy Noyle. I know diehard Costco fans will remember him. He went on, I believe he's in the CFL now. He had a brief NFL career. He was a short, speedy type wide receiver that really excelled at Texas AM. And I see Rondale Moore, Moore slash Speedy Noyle type of potential for Harmon. And he could be a real asset moving forward. And I don't think he has a future in the SEC as a DB, especially. When you see wide receivers like Jamar Chase, Seth Williams, um, Jerry Judy, I mean, that I just I don't think his size would help him against any of those wide receivers. No, absolutely not. You're right. That, that's tough. I mean, but guys, that is a wrap on this episode. Listen, uh, this is episode 100 of the Blue Bloods, man. I we started this what August last last year, man, and. We got to episode 100 on in July. Uh, we just wanted to give a shout out to all you listeners out there. I don't even care if you've, you've listened to our first episode and are back now, man. You listen to one episode. You definitely, that means a lot to us. Um, keep spreading the word, man. We're going to keep this thing going. I can't wait for 200 episodes. I know Brandy can't either. But we just wanted to give a shout out to all you awesome listeners out there, man. It means the world to us. We When we started this, man, I know Brandy would echo this. We didn't think a single person would listen to this thing. And... We've done thousands of downloads, streams, all that stuff, and you guys are literally the best listeners ever. I couldn't think of any any better listeners, to be honest with you. And honestly, they want to listen to us. They they're there's something about them. I'm not sure if it's good or not, but it's something. <laughs> but guys, we are still in the works with big things, merch, website updates, all that kind of stuff. We got to get back on the blogs for you guys. We we we're gonna be on that, man. Uh, but. Keep tuning in. Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Tell your friends, families, everything, man. Uh, keep spreading the word about the Blue Bloods. We out here put, putting work in for you guys in a coronavirus riddle time, bringing y'all college football content with no college football. That's something. Um, but you guys keep listening. Keep subscribing. We will keep dropping episodes. We, that's how all this works, man. But for right now, we out. <laughs>